Welcome to the Independent Advisors Podcast, where we dive into the world of stocks, tradable markets, and financial planning with Jessup Wealth Management's Chief Investment Officer, Mark McEvely, and CEO, Matt Jessup. You'll hear tips, tricks, and strategies to address your financial well-being, and most importantly, conveyed in a way that everyone can understand. Here are your hosts, Mark and Matt. Welcome to the 73rd episode of the Independent Advisors Podcast, where Mark McEvely and I, Matthew Jessup, bring you everything you need to know from the past week in the world of the financial markets and financial planning. So listeners, we have a special guest this week filling in for Mark while he is on his honeymoon. Our special guest is the one and only Aaron Kramer. Aaron, welcome. Thank you. Glad to be here. I love that you're here. (laughs) This is going to be a lot of fun for us. Um, Aaron is our in-house parent planner and wealth advisor. So this is going to be fun to have him as my co-host today. So as always, listeners, I'm going to start off and I'm going to take the first few minutes to recap the performance of the market for the month and year of the major indices that uh, we track. Uh, These numbers are as of the market close on November 23rd. And the data from this uh, segment is from stockcharts.com. So Aaron, I'll just dig in here. S&P 500 index uh, for the month of November so far, up 9.41%. Pretty strong. Impressive. Uh, for the year now, uh, posting a gain of 10.73. The uh, Dow Jones Industrial Average for the month, 11.66. And for the year, it has now gone positive, 3.69. The NASDAQ Composite Index for the month, up 8.88. And for the year, now a massive 32.41. The IWM ETF that tracks the Russell 2000 Small Cap Index for the month, Massive number, 18.11%. And for the year, Aaron, that now puts it in the green at 10.36. Very good. Very good. The uh, Vanguard International ETF X United States for the month, a massive 13.01. And for the year, like the Dow, has gone positive 4.92. And then on the bond front, the three-month T-bill sits at 089 uh, the two-year treasury is at 0.16, and the 10-year treasury said they got a massive and beefy 0.87% annually. Those are some low rates. <laughs> <laughs> they haven't gone much, have they? No, they, they haven't. Anywhere, have they? All right, uh, <clears throat> market news. So I'll touch on a couple of these things, Aaron. Uh, positive vaccine news. So both Pfizer and Moderna released some encouraging news about their COVID vaccines. AstraZeneca announced positive phase two trials of their vaccine. And uh, at the time when I prepared this, it said phase three data is expected within weeks, they said. And then, Aaron, you made a comment yeah. to me this morning about it, it. It looks like it came out this morning that it's uh, 90% effective as well. So they're all pretty much right in line, 95, 90% effective. Yeah, good. I don't really see much difference between the 90 and 95. No, no. Especially uh, when, the, when the with the break even for approvals, 50%. Yeah. <laughs> So, you know, they could have come out at 65 and people probably would have been pretty happy. Right, exactly. But that's 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 pretty high numbers. Um, two more items on market news, Aaron. One, COVID infection rates are still high. Hospitalizations are at a record in 22 states. Um, now, there's a silver lining in this. New cases per day continue to decelerate. However, it appears the peak has not yet arrived. Yeah, I have a feeling after... Thanksgiving and Christmas is sort of when we're going to see that true peak. That's a good point. 
That's a good point. A lot of college kids going home. College kids. People are going to be traveling more, I think. So unfortunately, I think it's going to be after the holidays is when we see the, the peak. I think that's a good point. Yeah. I didn't think of that aspect. And then uh, final outcome of the presidential um, election is still pending, though Biden still looks to be the likely winner. Markets still acting like the runoff election in Georgia in early January. Aaron will keep Congress split between Democrats and Republicans. Any comments from you on that? Yeah, from a market side, I I think it's good that they'll stay split from a predictability aspect. So there's not a whole lot you can get done with a sp- split Congress. So market side, that's not a bad thing. I would agree. Yeah. I would agree. I mean, you got the predictability that, you know, let's assume Biden gets in there. It's going to be really hard for him to raise taxes. Yeah, that's a At good least example. For the first two years. Exactly. Thank you yeah. for the first two years until we have the midterm elections. Exactly. Right. OK, listeners, I think we should go, Aaron, to uh, tweets in research this week um, and we'll just kind of switch off. I'll do one. You do one. All right. Sounds Sound good. So I'm going to start with some data from the U.S. Philly Fed Reserve. OK, so um, they have a headline number that kind of talks about uh, manufacturing activity. And so they had a huge headline number for um, the month. It came in at 32.3. Now, as a reminder for listeners, Aaron, this index, zero is break-even month-over-month growth. So to come in a pretty big um, headline number um, in 32.3, that's pretty impressive. Yeah, it's very impressive. And so um, it came in, let's see here, for October at 26.3. So um, huge, huge number. To put that into perspective and to convey how good that is, the average for last year in 2019 was 9.9. So uh, again, we're seeing some acceleration. The index has recovered from a 40-year low of negative 56.6 in April. Now, to give some perspective, the worst it got during the great financial crisis was negative 40.9. Yeah, I think that just really shows how much COVID sort of halted everything. I mean, like just a drastic stop. I mean, the shutdown, right? So again, huge headline number. Index came in at 26.3 for October. Previous month was uh, 32.3. Still a positive number. New orders and shipments posted good numbers, as did employment, which showed more widespread increases. Okay. So I found a quote uh, from a professor. I'm sorry, not a professor. He's the chief U.S. economist at high frequency economics it's perf- it's a gentleman by the name of Faroki, and i looked that up jenna so i did not murder the pronunciation <laughs> of his name out of respect i looked it up uh so gentleman by the last name uh Faroki, he's the chief u.s economist at high frequency economics wrote this in a note to clients this is what it said aaron Overall manufacturing is continuing to recover lost ground. However, the level of output remains below pre-pandemic levels. The risk going forward comes from surging infection outbreaks that could disrupt activity as well as weakening demand. Mm. Now, there is something that we're watching closely. The one big positive I noticed, Aaron, was that inventories are very lean and rebounding. Uh, Demand in many industries should force some positive economic figures in the near future. In essence, you know, they got to they got to rebuild all those inventories that are very low. Right. Yeah. Any comments you think? No, I just think as as sort of the we get back to a new normal, it's just going to be take some time before things get totally back to normal. I would agree. Yeah. I would agree. So some of that data will be chunky. Yeah. Right. It's not going to be yeah. perfect every every month. Right. 
I'm gonna send it over to you for one. All right. So this is uh, from Argus Research. Uh, this was on eleven eighteen. So um, it says while COVID nineteen numbers are reaching dangerous levels, there are reasons to believe the economy is better braced against major lockdowns. The healthcare infrastructure is better prepared for what likely will be even higher infection levels post Thanksgiving. And with vaccines seemingly close to early production, any targeted restrictions are unlikely to trigger as much doom and foreboding as they did in March. So I think it's just that with a vaccine around the corner, people are still going to have more confidence, even if there are higher infection levels. I think it's a good point that it's on the horizon, right? So it continues to say, purely from an investment perspective, the market appears more broadly supported thanks to ongoing and sometimes erratic sector rotation. We've seen a lot of that this month. Yes. Yeah. So we've sort of seen other than technology perform, we've started to see some of the the laggards start to improve. We have. Yep. It also continues to say beyond S&P sectors, there's been a broadening in participation to include small cap stocks. The Russell 2000 hit a record all-time intraday high of 1,746.31 cents on Friday and closed just under that level. The index is back around levels last seen in 2018, as small cats have pretty much skipped the rally to date. Market breadth is an investor's best friend for the final two-month stretch of the year. That's a big point. Yeah. So, I mean, uh, December is usually the best month out of the year, I think. Um, it would be good for all the whole sectors to sort of participate in that. What are I'm your glad, thoughts? I'm glad you highlighted this because what you're really talking about and why I think it's important for listeners to note is that when you have more of a broad participation in the stock market, if Mark were here, you know what he would say to us? That's <laughs> bullish. Yeah, yeah. Right? And so when you just don't have one or maybe two sectors, sectors. carrying the weight of moving these index mm-hmm. higher, That's a very positive thing. Yeah, I think also with the forward looking of the nature of the stock market, I think it's interesting that small caps are starting to actually perform now um, because they've been disproportionately impacted by the pandemic. Absolutely. So I think that's a lot has to do with the vaccine and looking forward. Yeah, I mean, the only thing that comes to mind when you say that is I would say for you know, some of those small cap stocks, we are not out of the woods yet, yeah. right? We still have to get through the winter season. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not as if, let's just say it, consumer demand's gonna bounce right back to pre-COVID levels. And just as you verbalized, you know, disproportionately speaking, these small cap companies have been hurt a lot more, right? Right. And so while it's very encouraging to see them come back, um, in my perspective, yeah, I, I would agree. There's not time to definitely not out of the woods yet, but it's encouraging to see it, this uh, participation in the stock market performance wise broadening to include small caps. Mm-hmm. That is a bullish indicator, in my opinion. I totally agree. OK, I got one for listeners, Aaron. This has to do with Chinese shipping rates. You got to follow me on this. one, <laughs> OK, so this is me connecting the tea leaves. OK. <laughs> So the source on this is a research firm by the name of Top Down Charts on November 18th. And um, I reference them once in a while. Top Down Charts is a macro research house based in uh, New Zealand in Kiwiland. And so um, it talks about Chinese shipping rates breaking out. Okay, so there's an index that looks at the cost, in essence, to hire a ship from China to then go somewhere like what is the cost to hire that ship got it and so it's a supply and demand metric 
for how much people are buying, in essence, goods from China, mm. right? Yeah. Good global economic indicator. And uh, Jenna's going to work on getting this chart on our show notes. And so as a reminder for listeners, you can view our show notes by going to um, jessupwealthmanagement.com. You want to hover over the podcast tab and click on the show notes. And you're going to see this chart, Aaron, that I'm referencing. So it shows a spiking cost to um, have a ship um, come from China and ship your goods. And that says to me that demand is recovering. That says to me the reopening is working. The stimulus is working. Now, it's also indicating I think you're going to have supply chain and logistics disruptions is clearly evident. So if you really need something, guess what? You're You're really going to pay up. You're really going to pay up. And so I think backlog and inventories issue continue to linger and expect an ongoing recovery in global trade volumes and upside pressure on inflation. And that all comes from top down charts. Now, when you look at this chart on the on the show notes, I mean, it's a dramatic increase. And so I take this as a very uh, bullish indicator of just a recovery in global demand. Mm -hmm. And this is just a really good way to look at it. Yeah, yeah, it's a great way to look at the whole sort of global economy. Definitely a bullish indicator. Yeah. And it's coming up quick. So, uh, Aaron, I'll send it over to you for one. Yeah. So this comes uh, this is a chart from the Financial Times on uh, November 14th. So it says um, after the the Pfizer vaccine hit news, uh, it's showing that funds that buy stocks counted 44.5 billion of inflows in in the week to Wednesday. So that includes more than 32 billion that was invested in the U.S. stocks. So we'll also have a link to this chart um, in the show notes, but it just shows a massive, massive inflow uh, of money into the U.S. stock market. Wow. So wow. It, it's it, when you look at the chart, it's huge. It's almost double compared to around September time. Wow. So um, this is uh, from data provider EPFR, or Emerging Portfolio Fund uh, Research. Um, and it was the largest weekly haul by equity funds since EPFR has been collecting the data. Wow. Um, as well as the, the second biggest intake by U.S. stock funds since 2000. So that's really that's bullish. Huge. What that means to me is that there's still so much money on the sidelines. I know you've mentioned that M2 money supply uh, yep. chart in the past. Yep. Um, and I think that just sort of justifies where all this money is coming from. And I don't think this trend is going to stop anytime soon. I agree with everything you just said, Aaron. I mean, this is a big, big, huge inflow. And you know, we've been talking about we think one of the largest positives for the for the market that we don't think is getting enough coverage mm-hmm. is that cash on the sidelines. Yeah. I mean, especially with interest rates at historically low rates. Yes. Why would you keep money in cash for an extended period of time? Right. Right. This is a very bullish indicator, um, and I, I think this is, could obviously just be the beginning. I mean, we're right. going to see week after week coming at $44.5 billion. No, but it's going to be some big numbers, I think. Yeah, especially as we go into the, the holiday spending season. I think it's just going to continue. I would agree. That was a good, indi- that was a good piece, and then yeah. we'll, we'll have this chart on the show notes, as Aaron mentioned, listeners, so check that one out. Um, <clears throat> I got one that's really interesting. This next piece of research, Aaron, is about insiders, and okay. mainly insider selling. Now, I'll explain what that means in a second. So the source of this chart that we're going to post to the show notes is from Thomson Reuters on November 14th, a very well-known and respected research firm. 
And what they do is they track insider selling versus kind of insider buying, okay? So let's take a step back, Aaron, and let's first explain what is an insider to listeners, okay? So an insider is a director or a senior official of a publicly traded company or a person who owns more than 10% of the company's voting shares, okay? So what this index does is it tracks when they're buying or selling because they have to report that right. to the market, right, to the street. So this chart indicates that there's a lot, and I want to emphasize a lot of insider selling over the past month of people selling their company stock. Now, <clears throat> I want listeners to look at this chart. However, I wouldn't read too much into this since insider selling has been low for much of the year. And I think we're making up for a little bit of lost time. Um, but it is something we should continue to watch. Aaron, you got any comments? Yeah, the only thing I would add to that is I, I know they have certain windows when they can actually sell. So this may be the time of the year that they can actually go in and sell. That's a great point. So That's a great point. So what you're discussing there is these insiders might only have in a given quarter, a given 90-day period, mm -hmm. they might only be able to make transactions two, three, max, four weeks out of that three-month period. Exactly, yeah. That's right. Good point. I'll send it back to you. Okay. So this um this one's kind of interesting. It's a uh, just a fun fact on um it's uh, about people with with and without electricity around the world. So this comes from a tweet um, from Max Crozer, um, and it was tweeted on November seventh. Um, and the underlying source is World Bank. Neat. So um, on any average day in the last eleven years, there was. Um, 314,000 people who got access to electricity for the first time in their lives. Say that again. Say that sentence again, because that's so impactful. 314,000 people who got access to electricity for the first time. First time in their lives. So there's there's this chart that shows the sort of increase in, in population, but also the, the decrease in people that don't have electricity. So it ends in 2016. But I just think that it's still such a massive number of people gaining new electricity. That's just mm. massive and mind-boggling to me. So it looks like, according to this chart, there's still over a billion people without electricity in, in the world. Mind-blowing. Um, it, it's, it's crazy. It's mind-blowing. Um, I mean, there's so many things in our daily lives, Aaron, that we just take for granted. I know. We're, right? We couldn't be doing this right now without electricity. Yes. <laughs> it's interesting. I mean, think about it. You, you know, you wake up in the morning, you brush your teeth, you, you know, you, the water comes. I mean, it's just all the uh, modern day luxuries that we just take for granted. And we got people around the world over 300,000 a day getting electricity for the first time. Yeah, it's crazy. That's mind blowing. It is. That's a great stat. I appreciate you sharing yeah. that. Well, let's head over to the financial planning topic of the week, and um, you have the pleasure I do. Of, of leading this segment, <laughs> which I'm very happy to and proud of you. So I will turn it over to you, and you can explain to listeners what you uh, cherry-picked this week. Yeah, so uh, I, I came to this thought just because of Mark's marriage and my marriage this year. So with tax season right around the corner, um, when you get married, you have the option to either file married jointly or married filing separately. Yes. Um, so what that means, obviously, if you're filing separately, you file as your your own income and you, there's the different brackets um, and marginal tax rates for you. And then if you file jointly, you have the, the higher range of, of incomes and you're essentially paying a lower effective tax rate over a certain amount of income. Okay. Um, so for the vast majority of people, it makes sense to file jointly. 
But I just wanted to highlight a couple situations where it might make sense to um, actually file separately. I love this. Yeah. So um, one of those situations is if you have higher student loans. So say you're a, a young doctor that has just come out of med school as in residency um, and you're married. Um, so if you have a higher, let's say, 100000 or more of student loan debt, um, it actually might make sense for you to file separately because if you're in an income-driven repayment plan for um, your student loans, it actually goes off of your your discretionary income. Really? So instead of, the household debt? Yeah. So you would keep it separate so you're paying a lower amount in your student loans back. Um, so that's just one, one scenario where it might make sense for somebody who's not say it, you're the young doctor who's not earning a ton yet, um, it might make sense if your your spouse is a high earner to sort of wait and file separately for now. And we've so, seen those instances. Yeah, we definitely yeah. see that. Yeah. So a lot of doctors will be in that income-driven repayment plan because they're in the in the, the public sector and they can get that forgiven after after 10 years. That's so, a great point. Um, another another scenario is the if you have uh, medical bills exceeding 7.5% of your adjusted gross income. Okay. So... Um, that, that's, has to do with, um, essentially because you're, if you have over seven and a half percent, um, in AGI of medical bills, you, um, you get that deduction from the, from that's the right. Loans. You do. So if you're combining your incomes together, it's a lot higher threshold, it's a lot higher threshold. So those were just two scenarios to where it might make sense to, uh, to file separately. Um, on the other side, it, it typically makes sense to, to file standard um, or jointly and take the standard deduction for most people. What is that standard deduction these so days? So the standard deduction for 2020 is going to be 24800 okay. or 12400 for an individual. Got so, it. So um, essentially it makes sense to, to file joint because you're spreading, um, take the 10% marginal rate, for example, um, you tax 10% up to... 9875 for individuals okay. or up to 19750 for joint. So obviously you're spreading a, that marginal tax rate across uh, a, a greater portion of income. I love that. Yeah. And then um, AGI. Now, um, that is, correct me if I'm wrong, of the two page 1040, that's the top of page two. Is that a good way of saying it? Yep. So it's after you've taken uh, any 401k uh Payroll deductions after that, stuff like that. Yeah, so makes sense. Yep, yep, exactly. That's great. Any other uh, things you want to throw out there, financial planning wise, regarding this? No. Um, anything you you want to add? No, I, I like that you highlighted this because those are two really good examples. And I know a lot of times if um, someone is filing their taxes on their own and they're using, say, yeah. a software, I know a lot of times that software will help them analyze it and say which scenario makes sense. Yeah, yeah. So for people that are doing it themselves, like a TurboTax, or I always tell them to to run it both ways yes. and try it. Um, it might cost you a little bit more to run it twice, but always do that just so... Uh, you figure out which scenario makes the most sense for you. I would agree because a lot of times they might not guide you on that. No, no. Or if you're working with a with a, an accountant, have them. They're obviously going to look at it both ways. But sure. just good to good to remind them. And listeners, if you don't have a uh, a trusted tax professional, um, we can't give formal tax advice. Uh, but what we can do is refer you to people that can. Yep. So um, if you're looking for you know a referral um, in that area, definitely reach out to uh, Aaron or myself, and we can um, give you a couple of names. Absolutely. 
So we don't have any questions this week. Um, what's your uh, game plan for uh, Thanksgiving this 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 year? I don't know. I you know do a socially distanced Thanksgiving. It's I gonna guess it's going to be interesting. It's going to be weird people, for a lot it? of people. Yeah, so. it really will. Well, I heard um, yesterday. I was um, in the car and I heard um, statistics regarding uh, TSA, like mm-hmm. the amount of people going through like security. Yeah. And so the numbers were extremely high over the weekend. I think wow. over 2 million people went through TSA uh, security on Saturday. Wow. And we haven't seen those levels of numbers in quite some time. And I would expect some pretty healthy numbers tomorrow yeah. on Thanksgiving yeah. Eve. Yeah. I don't think people are going to stop seeing their families. As, and yeah. unfortunately, that's why I think we might see some some we've, higher COVID levels after, we haven't after peaked the yet. holidays. Yeah, exactly. We haven't peaked yet. <laughs> Well, I'll sign us off for the week. Um, Mark is probably on the beach somewhere in here in the Caribbean <laughs> sipping a Mai Tai or a pina colada. He's probably getting a big smile out of that <laughs> comment right now. But um, listeners, thank you so much for listening to the 73rd episode of the Independent Advisors podcast. Um, I want to give a special thank you to you, Aaron, yes. for being my co-host today. I thoroughly enjoyed it. Yeah, thank you for having me. It was great. And so uh, listeners, keep those questions coming in. Have a wonderful, safe, and enjoyable Thanksgiving, and we'll be back with you next week. Thank you for listening to the Independent Advisors Podcast. If you're interested in hearing more, hit the subscribe button so you can be notified every time a new episode gets released. Feel free to share with friends, family, and follow us on Twitter at Jessup Wealth, Facebook, and LinkedIn. Mark and Matt will continue to share beneficial information on these social media sites. And also check out the podcast tab on their website. That's www.jessupwealthmanagement.com. Here you'll find links to every episode of the Independent Advisors. Have questions or topics you want to discuss on the show? Message us on Twitter, LinkedIn, or send an email with the words, questions, and topics in the subject line to mark at jessupwealthmanagement.com, and we'll talk about it right here on the podcast. Certain sections of this commentary may contain forward-looking statements based on reasonable expectations, estimates, projections, and assumptions. Forward-looking statements are not guarantees of future performance and involve certain risks and uncertainties, which are difficult to predict. All indices are unmanaged and are not available for direct investment by the public. Past performance is not indicative of future results. This podcast is provided for general informational purposes only and does not constitute either tax, legal, or financial advice. Although we do go to great lengths to make sure our information is accurate and useful, we recommend you consult a tax preparer, professional tax advisor, financial advisor, or lawyer regarding your specific circumstances. Investing involves risk, including the loss of principal. No strategy can guarantee any objective or goal will be achieved. Advisory services offered through Commonwealth Financial Network, a registered investment advisor.